Welcome to the Future of Coding. This is Steve Krause. Today on the podcast, I have Vlad Magdalene, the CEO and co-founder of Webflow, a WYSIWYG tool to build websites. Uh, Webflow is a really interesting company in the Future of Coding space, um, in part because it is a very thin layer of abstraction over HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It um, allows you to customize the way your website looks and feels, as far, even as far as animations go, but without touching HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, but using the same abstractions you would if you were coding, they just have a GUI tool that you would use instead. So it allows, uh, empowers designers to really be as powerful as um, front-end engineers, all without you know having to learn the syntax. We get into more about how Webflow works in the episode. Another thing that's interesting about Webflow is it, that it has a wonderful Brett Victor origin story. Um, Vlad has uh, used to have, maybe he, he repinned it, this, this pinned tweet um, on Twitter that said, you know, this, this inventing on principle video changed my life. And uh, if it changed yours too, let me know. Beer's on me. So before I bring you Vlad, a quick message from our sponsor. Replit is an online REPL for over 30 languages. It started out as a code playground but it now scales up to a full development environment where you can do everything from deploying web servers to training ML models, all driven by the REPL. They're a small startup in San Francisco, but they reach millions of programmers, students, and teachers. They're looking for hackers interested in the future of coding and making software tools more accessible and enjoyable. So email jobs at replit, R-E-P-L.it, if you're interested in learning more. One final note about this episode is that I've never laughed so much in an interview before. Uh, it's a really, we, ha we have a good time. Um, Vlad on Twitter is known for his uh, hilarious tweets. So if you two got a laugh out of this episode, I would recommend following him on Twitter for more of the same. Without any further ado, I bring you Vlad Magdalene. Welcome, Vlad. Hey, Steve. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really uh, wonderful having you. Um, so... To get us started, I was I was doing some Twitter stalking uh, of you, and I found um, that you have a lot of very funny tweets. You 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 try really hard with the dad jokes. Thanks, um, thanks. I've I've I only have three interns working on that on that content. <laughs> yeah, just three. Wow, really high yeah. quality stuff. <laughs> thanks. Uh, and so I, I found you recommended a um, a good icebreaker. So I thought we might as well start start there. So, uh, Vlad, uh, what's, what's your story? <laughs> uh, interesting. Um, way to turn that around on me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I mean, in a nutshell, I was um, born in Russia, uh, of, of all places, next to this mountain range called the Caucasus Mountains. So um, I guess you could say I'm very Caucasian, um, since <laughs> that's, the, that's the region where... <laughs> Uh, and grew up there, uh, moved to, moved to Moscow for a little bit. Um, my dad kind of went there for, for a job he had, but then moved back down to like very Southern Russia on the border of Georgia. Um, and had a very weird upbringing. Like my parents had, um, they were Protestant, which is a, a, a religion that was kind of looked down upon in, in Russia. Like the state saw it as uh, not a very friendly thing to the state. Um, so there was a lot of persecution happening. Um, like there, 
people in, in my direct family that were assassinated for, for having a Bible, for example, for just like shot by firing squad for having a Bible in their home. Um, so that, that led to um, uh, the, the U.S. government actually opening up some, um, some asylum laws in the late 80s that allowed my family to, to immigrate to the U.S. So when I was 10, uh, we moved uh, to Sacramento uh, in California. Um, and just had kind of a, I would say, a pretty, pretty normal childhood growing up there, then went to school, um, uh, followed my brother to computer science school, even though I didn't really enjoy it. Um, just because my parents said, you know, this is uh, uh, where we're already driving one of our kids. So if you want a free ride, uh, in the sense of, you know, like a car ride, not a scholarship or anything like that, <laughs> uh, you should go to the school too. So I just followed my brother. Um, and computer science at that school was like really, really intense. Um, you know, we're learning how to write like an artificial intelligence algorithm to play chess. Uh, and, uh, for me, it just never really, uh, never really clicked. So I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy those classes at all. So after the first year I dropped out and moved up here to San Francisco, um, to go to art school. Actually, I wanted to become a 3d animator and just work at Pixar and make, um, really awesome movies. Um, so I, I started going to the Academy of Art here in San Francisco, um, kind of learning, wanting to learn 3D animation. Uh, but the first two years were actually just focused completely on fundamentals of, uh, you know, graphic design and color theory and composition and perspective and, um, you know, sculpture and form, etc. Um, which I also didn't, I, w I wasn't too good at that stuff. Um, uh, like I could sort of learn the techniques, but um, I wasn't really personally motivated to like, you know, go out and sketch people or just draw in my notebook, etc. Um, but then when I started to actually take in the beginning of the third year, when I actually started to take 3D animation courses, um, it turned out that the school is actually pretty terrible at it. Like all the teachers were students who couldn't get jobs, uh, you know, at studios and sort of came back to teach. Um, and I, I think I was learning more from like video tutorials, um, than I was from, from the classes. And it was during that time when I like picked up a lot of these tutorials that, um, uh, I, I got back into coding. Like, uh, Maya has something, Maya is a very popular 3D animation, uh, tool, but it has something called MelScript, which, um, I think it's called the Maya expression language. And through that, I actually started to, um, to like coding, um, because you could save a lot of time uh, animating by, you know, like putting in this expression and like the computer would sort of do it for you. Uh, and, and that's where I started to sort of like develop this um, uh, more of like a visual programming or, or visual um, uh, orientation towards like mixing visuals and, and development. Um, so, so then I sort of like saw what it took to, to actually work at Pixar and you had to be like, you know, this really, really incredible animator um, on paper, you know, like tr traditional 2D animation and you have to be like super creative. And I just didn't have that um, compared to uh, a bunch of people that were, you know, going through animation uh, at that same school. Um, and I really started to fall in love with like what I could do with code kind of combined with, with this 3D stuff. So um, I decided to go back to uh, the school where I was studying computer science. 
um, and and I finished up the the computer science program there. But during that, um, when I went back to um, my computer science program, I also got a job sort of part time uh, working at this web design agency uh, that was creating um, kind of like these more complex CMS sites uh, for like Quicksilver and Apple and ten- the Tennis Channel and um, all these sort of like big clients. Um, and that's when it, when I got into you know web design and web development and um, these these sort of things started to um, uh, come together um, to to sort of like push me a little bit further into like creative programming. Uh, but then I I graduated. I um, sort of went out looking for jobs. Couldn't really find anything in in, in that creative space. And I got a job at Intuit, which is you know. Uh, known for very exciting software like TurboTax and QuickBooks. <laughs> um, and you could say I kind of uh, settled into that job. Like, um, it was really fun. Like, we did a lot of uh, sort of other projects uh, as part of Intuit. But I, um, uh, together with my, my wife, um, moved back to Sacramento. We started a family. Uh, we had two kids. Um, but then one day, it sort of forgot about this whole um, idea of like creative development or um, visual programming. And then one day, I saw like randomly on on the Facebook on my Facebook feed, uh, Brett Victor's video "Inventing on Principle" um, somehow got shared on my feed. And um, as I was watching it, like all these all these ideas like came back, like the the concept of like three D animation and how it's very um, uh, like tied to direct manipulation and all the things that I was able to do with um, sort of like the programming side of things and then like the visual uh, approach to procedural modeling with Houdini and, and how, um, you know, I was doing particle effects through that um, program plus all of the things I was doing in that in that web agency sort of like came to a head and made me realize like, wow, there's like a huge, like there's the potential here to do this same type of uh, apply this same kind of thing to, to web programming. Um, and then that same night I read, um, uh, a paper that Brett Victor has called, um, uh, magic ink, uh, which the combination of that, like the inventing on principle video and the magic ink, uh, paper just convinced me that there's an opportunity there. So like the next day, uh, uh, on a Monday, I put in my my notice at Intuit uh, started making plans to move to the Bay Area. Uh, called my brother to uh, see if he wanted to, who was a designer, see if he wanted to work on it with me. Um, and then we uh, pretty much right away, uh, like a couple weeks later, sort of canceled our lease in Sacramento, moved to uh, the Bay Area. Uh, my brother moved up to to my place, and then we just started working on uh, Webflow pretty much day and night. And then since then, it's just been kind of uh, uh, working on what what it's become, like getting more customers, adding more features, getting closer to this, uh, to this vision of um, empowering more people to actually develop, um, even if they, they, they might not understand the exact principles uh, or the exact like syntax of, of the code that they're creating. Um, maybe that's not like a, a short, story but uh that's that's kind of how how i got to where uh where i am today in a nutshell i love it Uh, i'm so glad i asked that question Um, (laughs) because i I don't think i would have gotten all that if i asked a different question i I think that's the only way i would have gotten all that background and and that is stuff i didn't know and i'm very glad i do now awesome yeah that's why i like that icebreaker (laughs) 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so um, that that's quite a uh, Brett Victor origin story, where you know you were you were, were kind of settled, like you were saying, in this intern mm-hmm. job, and and then you know he like Morpheus, he shows up and and he gives you the red pill, and and all of a sudden you're you can't see anything the same, and you quit your job and exactly you the that's, matrix. <laughs> that's that's exactly what it felt like. It was like just light bulb went on, and it it was just inevitable at that point. I couldn't not work on uh, what I ended up working on. Yeah, I think there's a very small, like in, in the context of the world, there's a very small number of people. But in the context of a video that changes people's lives uh, very drastically, I think there's a quite a large number of people who could say that about at least one of his videos. Probably it's that one. That that was the yep. one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have the email in my inbox of like, dear Brett Victor, I watched this video and uh-huh. I'm convinced that I should like, you know, do this kind of work, you know, like what, what's your advice? Um, right. Right. I have that same exact email. <laughs> and, oh, okay. Well, this is, and it's, and it's yeah. funny. My, my email like goes through, there's like many, many, many paragraphs uh, of like, you know, <laughs> this is how you expi- inspired me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Brett, uh, Brett responds with two words. You're welcome with a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> it's so in- incredible to receive. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like him. I'm not not surprised. At least you got a response. I um, I it took me many years uh, of of uh, cold emailing to get something something back. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of people uh, that he's inspired. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it's it's hard to, it's hard to be him, um, especially because he was telling me when when I eventually did get to meet him that mm-hmm. uh, he's he he thinks of himself as a contrarian. So it's hard when people watch his things. And say I agree because he doesn't want uh, everyone. He doesn't want to be in the mainstream. He he like he, uh, he likes to be misunderstood. Yep. So yeah. So what, so like his only response when you say no, I love what you do. I'm a big fan. Is you don't quite understand what I do. Uh, you don't you don't yeah. actually get it. Yeah yeah yeah. And I can see that. Uh, well, um, I kind of it impulsively bought um, BrettVictorFan.club the URL. So uh, so maybe. <laughs> So uh, maybe you could uh, be a co-founder. Nice, brettvictor.club. Nice. No, brettvictorfan.club. No, oh, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. It's important that we're the the, we're the fan club. Got it. <laughs> uh, I would. I'll be your first member. Uh, great. Yeah. Well, we should probably make this website on Webflow. That would be the, the right way to do this. Of course. This. Of course. Otherwise, you know, it's for, first step to failure is not making a website on Webflow. <laughs> so um i i think part of how we got connected was uh you had this tweet that used to be pinned on the top of your twitter that yep. was uh like no i'm I'm really inspired i was really inspired by this inventing our principal talk so if, if you are too you know reach out to me i'd love to like you know grab a beer with you like yep. standing I, offer i need to repin that i think i had like <laughs> some, some some product uh that we were launching that i pinned something else and then i couldn't find that find that tweet but um yeah, that's, that's. I think I've met so many incredible people through that tweet. Um, that's just. Uh, it's it's crazy that there's this um, kind of common connection through this one video or through this, through this one person. Uh, that's how it somehow com- gets people together. Yeah, I agree. It is pretty wacky. Yeah. Um. And I think I also saw on your Twitter that you um. 
this was a while ago and I wonder if it, if it actually happened a, a, a dinner for people who are interested, who are like democratizing coding in San Francisco uh, I haven't honestly I'm behind on organizing it uh, but that is on the on the docket I think it's just the end of the year has been really tough to schedule uh, but when January and February rolls around I'm gonna make that happen amazing yeah we uh, that... I just organized sorry I was just saying yeah there's just a lot more people now who are trying to democratize uh, development in one way or another and make like whether it's visual development or um, like non-traditional forms of development happen. And, and that, that field thankfully is growing much more than it, than it was several years ago. Yeah. Uh, in your tweet, I think you, most of the people that I recognized that you uh, were going to do this dinner with were people who were like have companies like you that, that are trying to right. push forward coding um, which is amazing because San Francisco, you actually have a lot of companies uh, like Dark and Repolit yep. and, and yep. yourself uh, that are doing this. Uh, in, in London, I hosted a dinner last week for people just kind of more interested in this topic. And oh, I, I saw that. Like side side projects. So it's like, mm -hmm. I guess the, the people are, are less, it's it just, I guess, a slightly different feel because we don't have companies mm -hmm. for more hobbyists, uh, more mm -hmm. interest group, <laughs> but it, it's quite similar. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't feel like I have to, like, I, I hope it's not something that's just limited to people who are, uh, you know, running companies or whatever, because there's so many different ways we can like rabbit hole into the specific things, you know, whether for Webflow, it's like more website focused or for Airtable, it's more like workload focused or for like Zapier, it's, it's more, you know, integration focused or whatever. I, I would want that dinner to be a lot more kind of oriented around the, what's possible in the future versus, you know, techniques to optimize what we're doing now. So I'm actually hoping it's a little bit more um, like oriented around people's vision for uh, visual programming and visual development rather and just democratizing uh, kind of coding in general, whether it's in the form of code or some other way of representing some abstraction over code um, so that we can all get inspired versus like, trading tricks and trades for like reducing churn or getting more customers <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, well, Amjad and I, um, uh, as, as I guess, you know, Amjad is the sponsor of the podcast and, um, Oh, awesome. Rep from, is the sponsor from Replay, right? Awesome. Yeah. 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 Repl is the sponsor of the podcast. And, um, him and I actually uh, need to get together because like, uh, he responded to that tweet originally and we just kind of kept going back and forth. So this is a good reminder for me to ping him again after. Uh, we yeah, well, I was going to say it's kind of related. Um, uh, like th these meetups I've been hosting in New York and now London and then um, someone's going to do meetups in Boston. And Amjad said that uh, he uh, would like be up for like hosting the San Francisco based ones. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it, it's, it's yeah. Anyways, it could be like a thing I, in my dreams. Uh, it could be a thing like you do at dynamic land. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, I have a, a, a lot of friends who are into these topics in the Bay. So I would want to send them, send them that way too, but I don't know how big you want to make it. Yeah. I don't know yet. Like we just have to have the first one and then see where it goes. I know it's just like the hardest thing is organizing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah tell me about it. the london one i thought it was going to take just a few hours to organize but it was yeah. such a big project yeah yeah especially busy people that's uh 
Yeah, you have to like send around a doodle to get everyone mark it, off when they're free. <laughs> exactly. I had to I had to upgrade to like the paid version of Doodle at the point. <laughs> That's when you know you, yeah. you know, you're serious about <laughs> organizing, especially uh, uh, especially designers. Uh, you need you need like the pro level of tools to get designers to show up to the same place at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So um so back to your origin story of the founding of Webflow. Mm-hmm. Um it sounds like your brother was your co-founder, is that right? Yes. So um it was my brother Sergi and one of my coworkers from Intuit, Bryant, that uh, the three of us started it together. Cool. And so at the time were there a lot of existing like visual web development solutions because today there's like squarespace and weebly and wix like as competitors were those around at the time uh yeah all three were around um so weebly was pretty new uh squarespace has been around for a while wix has been around for a while i think they were like flash based at the time though um we didn't actually see them as uh competitors really because you couldn't really develop your own thing you could just like pick a template and move content around and that's and that's pretty much where they are today uh, so we didn't really see them as um, uh, a competitor because you couldn't do anything really that custom without resorting to code. Um, ah, okay. Well, I think there's um, an interesting nuance there because I've, I've used some of these tools and you can move things around, but as far as the styles go, you, you can't do anything custom. Got like, it. The, the, you, the, the, you have to use a template. Right. You can't, it's, it's not just, yeah. right. It's not just styles. It's also interactions. Like you can't you know, like when you hover over something, create some sort of interaction or, you know, create animations. Uh, those are the things that get closer to, you know, when we were starting, you could only do in, in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Um, and in that space, there wasn't really that much competition. And we sort of came in at a weird time in history. This is 2012, where um, like bootstrap was taking off so a lot of people were building like bootstrap builders um which is sort of like more vanilla cookie cutter Mm -hmm. similar to squarespace where you're like kind of configuring bootstrap elements um and most of the world like the startup world was just assuming that the web was like dying and everything was going into apps uh so all the all the startups like even at you know y combinator and a bunch of um investors were talking about like well what's what's your story around mobile development? Like, you know, mobile is really, really taking off. Um, Everyone's getting a smartphone, et cetera. So so the specific space of like visual web development wasn't really that much in demand at the time. Everyone had assumed, you know, pretty much everyone we talked to that was even an industry expert was like, well, this is probably not going to work out because Dreamweaver didn't work out um, or front page didn't work out. So uh, it was sort of like a foregone conclusion that a WYSIWYG in the in the web uh, platform space was kind of like a fool's errand at the time. Um, but we still, because my brother and I built so many websites together, we still felt very strongly that um, it was something that just needed to exist. Like that that process of doing a design in Photoshop and then like manually translating it just just felt like there's got to be a better way. Um, so e- even if we had it just for ourselves, we still wanted to make it make it happen. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That distinction wasn't obvious to me before mm-hmm. that um, those other tools, all you can do is just pick a, a CSS theme and, yeah. that, and that's it. And if you want customization on top of that, you have to go into the CSS or HTML or JavaScript. 
Exactly. And same thing with our uh, kind of the biggest competitor in the space, which is uh, WordPress. Essentially, what you get out of the box with all these tools is a CMS. Um, any customization of how things look and how they like a, a user interacts with them are all done through HTML and CSS and JavaScript, like you're manually coding. Hmm. Yeah, that, that distinction makes a lot of sense. So there are uh, some keywords that you've used a few times that I think are, are, are quite important. So I want to just get your definition of these terms. Uh, one is direct manipulation, mm -hmm. which I think is a hard a hard term to pin down. Mm -hmm. And the other one I think is a little bit easier is WYSIWYG. Right. So yeah, what are your, yeah, sorry. So direct manipulation to me just means that um, like the an action that you take has a direct um, response uh, with uh, like the medium that you're creating for. So if you're sculpting, for example, you're or like chiseling at some you know stone, uh, like hitting your hammer against the chisel immediately has you know maybe there's some like microsecond delay or whatever because of physics and whatnot, but like it immediately has an impact on that medium, right? Uh, or when I'm modeling a character in, you know, a 3D animation software, or like I'm using graphic design software when I'm using the pen tool, like me moving the vertex, I don't have to wait, or I don't have to like switch to some mode to see the result of that operation. Uh, whereas when you're lacking um, uh, direct manipulation, you actually have something where you have to like, you know, make a guess and then go check whether uh, that is what you intended, uh, which is pretty much where most of web development and application and software development is today, where you're in a text editor and you change something uh, and then you have to go um, like into a browser and refresh uh, or wait for, you know, live reload to happen to see if that's exactly what you meant. So that's the lack of direct manipulation. It's like the wait and see type of approach. Um, but when you have direct manipulation, you actually have like this, um, like very tactile um, kind of connection to the thing that you're creating. Um, and when it's missing, I think it's, um, you know, you have to find all these workarounds or get used to the fact that uh, what you're actually, the, the thing that you're writing or the thing that you're declaring is not the actual thing that you're building. Um, and, and that absence makes, um, makes this just feel more like a translation uh, rather than a creation. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Like when you add direct manipulation to something, it's sort of like switching between, you know, Markdown uh, to something like Word, you know, in or like Google Docs, where in Google Docs, what you're seeing is exactly what you get. Whereas in, in Markdown, it's sort of like a, um, a abstract representation of the thing that you're going to get. Um, and then you like you have to kind of go switch back and forth into preview mode to see if that's uh, uh, how you intended it to look. Yeah, well, I, I want to keep digging in here because I think I, I want to like kind of tease out the difference between direct manipulation and like live programming. Mm -hmm. and, and so live programming, I'm just going to say it's like when you get very quick feedback. So you can imagine right. a markdown editor where on the right. left you have the markdown and on the right you have the preview. Right. And as quickly as you type, you, you can see the preview. Yep. And so that's not direct because when I when I think of direct, like you, you you mentioned the stone, I think of direct as like my hands, my fingers are like in the clay. I yep. can feel the wetness. That's like very right. direct. Right. Um, and so I'm with you that word feels more direct because I can like point at the words. Mm -hmm. and, but still with word, I, I like select the word and then I have to go and like pick a number to represent it. I don't actually like drag the word bigger. That's, you know, it's still not as that's direct. True. Right. So, yeah, there's, a, yeah. there's kind of a mixture between 
between both, right? Like, like there's some virtual reality um, uh, kind of sculpting um, programs where you have, you know, like kind of a closer to a, you're not actually changing the thing in, um, you're not touching the medium, but you're sort of like virtually representing that, that uh, physical interaction. Um, but even in those cases, like the way that you uh, pick a color, you're still like in a modal or something like that. Um, so there's, there's always a mixture, um, you know, when you're mixing paint uh, on, a, on a palette or whatever, it's not exactly like you, you know, having a pre-selected color and then putting it on, on canvas. There, there's always like some, some like modal offshoots of, of that kind of direct manipulation idea. Yeah, well, the modal offshoots of like you're picking a font or, or mm -hmm. a color is one thing. But then the other thing that I, I feel like it's hard to get at is like how direct is is direct? Like, mm -hmm. um, it, or, or what kind of an attribute is direct? Is it like a spectrum-y thing or is it a binary thing? Uh, I think I think it's a definitely a spectrum. Um, you know, for example, in, in a lot of things that you would consider to be Let's say Houdini. I don't know if you've ever used Houdini for like particle effects. Um, you no. sort of, ha it's similar to Markdown where you might have like a procedural flow diagram of like, I have an emitter, I have like a gravity well, I have a, you know, different sort of like sources that I, I put my particles through. And then on the right side, I have sort of like the actual particle effect, right? And I can see, you know, this is what I want. This is what like the gravity, uh, this is kind of how I want it represented. And then in some cases, there's even a third step of like actually rendering that out to like seeing fire or smoke or whatever. Um, so it, it, there's definitely a spectrum where the closer you get to um, uh, like your main input being um, the representative of uh, the output product, the, the, like the more direct that that feels, right? Uh, whereas if, mm. if you're writing... Um, let's say I'm writing a shader, right, um, for some game, and I'm doing expressing that through like C++, that feels like less direct to me, because that means more translation layers to, you know, that code now becoming an algorithm that becomes um, uh, some way to represent light bouncing, um, like there's, you're, you're more and more steps removed from the final output. Um, so I think the closer you are to the, your expression of like, you know, an artistic or creative idea, to that final output, the more direct that feels, but it's 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 almost never like sculpting in itself, right? Because like that is such a um, uh, that's like you know finger to clay, and exactly what you what you do is is what you end up with. Um, so I don't think like you know visual software development especially can can ever be that direct because um, the expression, the things we're trying to express are so much more complex. You have to come up with these sort of like abstract representations of like, quote unquote, directness. Um, but I think the goal should always be to get it closer and closer to uh, what you're trying to represent. If that, that, makes that makes a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. And let me just uh, try putting it in my own words, because I, mm -hmm. um, I like what you just said. So you just so when you're, um, you're doing some activity to build mm -hmm. an, a, like an artifact. Mm -hmm. And so when you do the activity, you have to go check the artifact to see if it's what you imagine. Right. Um, and if the thing that you're checking, like the, the actual like preview or the output is also the thing you're interacting with, 
that's direct manipulation. So the markdown thing, it's not because it's off to one side, but word, you're, you're more directly interacting with the thing you're also checking. I think, I think that's, at least to me, makes more, makes sense. Yeah, I would, I would say in some, in some world, maybe even something like Markdown would be close to direct manipulation if you have true reflection of the thing that you're creating right away. Like if there's no, there's no delay um, and, and, and that is the most efficient way of kind of like declaring that, um, uh, I guess, like, the abstraction that leads to the direct the, the end result but again it's hmm. it's um like for example i'm thinking i'm thinking like well, let's say i'm 3d modeling right and i'm choosing a color uh even though i'm not choosing that color directly uh as long as i as i like in some modal as long as i'm choosing that color and kind of like dragging around the color picker but and i'm seeing it, it immediately reflected uh on the like the medium that i'm creating for like the actual model that feels like pretty direct to me like i think qualifying it is whether like i'm choosing that color directly on the object versus somewhere on the side as long as i'm seeing the result right away like immediately without some sort of lag that feels pretty direct like it it, uh, it feels like it, it would be too kind of like maybe pedantic to say uh, that's not exactly direct because like the influence of your action is very direct it happens right away and you know right away if that's what you meant um it's not you don't have to like go and and kind of um, you know wait for anything or think of it as an um, abstract representation. You're just kind of like thinking of that as the color of the thing that I'm creating, uh, which is part of the thing that I'm creating. Yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely see that. I th I think to just to be I guess like pedantic about it, um, I think that um, in that example, the color being updated in my actual output as, as fast as I change it mm -hmm. is like what I would call live, live yeah. programming. And then if I could press on, on the, the thing in my 3D model that I want to change, and then that's how I get the color picker. I don't have to like, you know, look in the code and right. then find the color picker. I just, I just press on the thing whose color I want to change. That's the direct part. I, I, I like uh, that distinction. I, I actually wasn't um, like the live aspect wasn't in my vocabulary before, but that uh, that distinction makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Anyways, uh, we can move on. It, it is very pedantic. Um, and, and I could see how, how it'd be pedantic, um, particularly when you're like trying to make things that people use right. uh, as myself being more of a researcher. These are, these are the kind of the terms that we, we use in debate. Like, what does it mean to be direct? And, you know, right, right, so, right. so, but given that you're like such an expert on direct manipulation, I figure you'd be the perfect person to help disambiguate these, <laughs> these terms. The, the, if I think about, let's say the markdown, uh, you know, you have the market down code on one side and the live preview on the other side, where uh, that's when you can start to make like almost a judgment call on efficiency and ease of use, where even though you have like the live translation right away, you could argue that um, you can actually teach a lot more people, maybe orders of magnitude more people to, to go to, like if you had something like content editable or something more like uh, Google Docs, to be able to directly change that uh, right side even if you have, um, you know, that live translation, you could argue that the direct version is a lot easier to, um, uh, for people to understand and therefore more accessible than the live uh, translation portion, because then that just means you have to learn another format, you have to learn another um, kind of different, more technical way of expressing things. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think most of it, most people agree that direct manipulation is, is better. Uh, and, and live is better. Once you understand what the terms mean, I, I think yep. most people agree that, that they're what we're going for. Actually, that, that brings me to my next question. So you've spoken elsewhere about uh, the democratization of various creative pursuits, be it uh, blogging or uh, animation or modeling or basically any creative pursuit that we could think of mm -hmm. or that we have. There is some tool, some professional editing tool, and maybe even some amateur tool where it's like direct manipulation-y mm -hmm. and allows you to like do this creative pursuit without having to worry about code. Um, but programming has been, like particularly web design has been resistant to that sort of a tool. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could yeah, talk about why do you think it's been so resistant? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think I think the major, uh, there. I think there are two factors. One is web programming actually wasn't hard enough in the beginning. Um, so, so many people found it pretty, um, approachable, you know, when you could just buy a book on HTML and, and learn how to sort of like create pretty basic websites with tables and frame sets or whatever, it wasn't enough of a, a thing where it's so tedious that, uh, it just screamed out for tooling. Whereas something like 3d animation or video editing, um, it's, it would be so tedious to declare like where every pixel goes or where every vertex goes. Uh, and wherever cut happens, um, that it just like very early on, people just saw that as like the only kind of meaningful way to 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 get work done here is to create like more sophisticated software to help us do this. Whereas web design kind of started as a uh, a much easier um, kind of technical challenge, and I think enough people over the first like five years or so uh, became experts at it that it sort of it just became um, kind of a a foregone conclusion that everything that that you could do in in web design um you you could do manually and it's like straightforward enough that it doesn't take too long and um that kind of thing but then um over time as as web development got more and more complex that mentality stuck uh because you know you needed that experience of like the initial foundations of html and css and javascript to do the more complex stuff and the only people that could do that were the already experts and it, nobody could prove that you could do it any other way. So um, uh, because we had multiple failures in the space, like Dreamweaver, right? Like Dreamweaver tried to um, kind of like add some direct manipulation features to web design. But then um, uh, the, the outcome of that was like every one of these pro developers would say it generated bad code, which was true. Um, and it sort of like became kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where uh, because most of the experts thought that um, it, you couldn't actually do professional work with it, nobody knew would start uh, using that as sort of like the um, de facto tool because all the experts and thought leaders said the only real way to do this correctly was to learn uh, code from scratch, etc. So I think that, um, you know, played out over decades um, and, and led to this sort of conclusion that um, the only real way to uh, do things correctly on the web is to learn all the foundations and do all the like the technical um, groundwork yourself, which almost feels like um, kind of sticking to the conclusion that like assembly uh, is the best way to do programming. Um, <laughs> uh, sort of like we don't need any more abstractions to help us, uh, you know, make sense of this complexity. We don't need, we sort of reach the, the, the apex of um uh, the tooling that we can create. So I think it's just like, it, it was a combination of uh, multiple factors. Um, 
but but I think the biggest one was that the industry leaders uh, were were kind of and still to this day, uh, you ask most web design industry leaders what they think about WYSIWYGs, like they'll dismiss them out of hand right away. Um, and and they'll say things like, you know, well, just do what I did. Um, learn the fundamentals of HTML and CSS and JavaScript, et cetera. Forgetting the fact that it was so much easier to do this uh, when the web was first getting started. You could like incrementally learn these things as like browsers got more and more um, you know, as CSS came out, as CSS2 came out, as like these new tags started to happen with HTML5, as jQuery came out, um, it, you know, like all of us kind of like industry experts from the early, that, that were doing this from the early years could sort of like incrementally learn these things uh, and it didn't seem too hard. Uh, however, somebody starting new from scratch today, it's, it's such an overwhelming mountain to climb um, because there's, you know, uh, hundreds of different ways to write CSS, uh, many different compilers that compile to HTML, many different approaches to, to JavaScript and JavaScript frameworks. Um, and it's just like this, you know, paradox of choice of tooling and this overwhelming um, kind of wall that you have to uh, surpass. So most people just end up either not getting into the space or hyper specializing in something. You know, they, they become like a, a React developer, the only building UIs, or they become kind of like an Angular developer where they're focusing more on like business logic or, you know, creating forms, et cetera. Um, it's, it's no longer, a lot of industry experts will say, you know, um, it's, it's kind of unlikely that um, you can become a master of everything because there's just way too much stuff to master now. Uh, but I think that is actually, it, it's the more we ask computers to do for us, the more it's possible for us to master things because then we just have to understand like the core concepts, we have to understand, you know, roughly how the box model works. We don't need to actually understand all the syntax of expressing uh, things that rely on the box model. We have to roughly understand how, um, you know, search engine optimization and accessibility um, works. We don't actually have to uh, know by heart all the different HTML5 tags. Uh, we we have to roughly know um, the the principles of, of timed animation. We don't actually have to like know by heart the web animation uh, API or you know, some React-powered um, JavaScript animation library. Um, as long as we can create tools to actually access that same level of power, um, I think all that stuff is possible. It's just the, the biggest barrier is overcoming like this mental gap of believing that it's actually possible, um, which is mo most of the industry, I would say, does not believe that, that it is. Yeah. So here, I have uh, two... two things to say. So the first thing I want to say is um, that I really love the way you put it, that um, you don't have to know the syntax for doing certain things. You only have to know the higher level concepts of mm -hmm. how they work. Mm -hmm. I really love that uh, distinction because it it's another way of framing what Fred Book, Brooks calls uh, the essential complexity versus the incidental complexity. Mm -hmm. So you're not saying that we're going to have users, you know, describe their UI like abstractly and have like some machine learning AI, like figure it out for you. Mm -hmm. We're saying, no, 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 you still have to understand the essential nature of the problem you're trying to express. You still have to understand like visual design if you want mm -hmm. to make a good looking website, but you don't have to understand all the things that, that like we could just, you know, write down for you, all the, all the like curly braces and semicolons. We'll, we'll get that stuff. You just focus on the actual essential bits. Exactly. Yep. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to um, say was that, you you mentioned you you mentioned that um the perception of of programming and programming tools and WYSIWYG um 
that's like been a big block for you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd be curious, you, you've been doing this now for six years. So mm-hmm. I'd be curious how that's been going, the different strategies you've been taking. Um, and w- one thing I'll throw in there is that I did an interview with uh, one of the founders of Bubble, mm-hmm. which I assume you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and he, he called this a, um, a slow revolution. Yes. Where um, the only way that people are going to realize that this is legitimate is when other companies become big successes. Like when the next Uber is um, built on top of Bubble or Webflow, like that's mm-hmm. when people are going to take these tools seriously. It, would you say that, that the same has been true? Absolutely. It's all about social proof. Um, it's all about um, showing people versus telling them. Um, so we've had the same thing. You know, year one, there was a lot of skepticism. Uh, year six, when we can point to, you know, webflow.com, which is 100% visually developed by a graphic designer uh, who doesn't code at all, but that, uh, like, our sites, the amount of, like, animation and interaction happening there will, like, in some cases, outpaces what some of the best front-end developers can do. Um, when when entire companies switch their entire marketing sites to to Webflow, um, there's now like HelloSign and Lattice and a bunch of other like YC startups, you know, like uh, best of breed type of startups that switch all of their marketing operations to like this new visual way of um, kind of building uh, web pages and applications. That's when you can say like, look, uh, the proof is in the pudding. Like you can actually, um, but it, it, it is absolutely a slow revolution. Even with those proof points, you get a lot of yeah, buts. Like, yeah, but it doesn't do this. Yeah, but it doesn't do this. Like, oh, what if I need to kind of like pull the escape hatch and, and do something custom? Um, and I think that's just a matter of like adding more and more um, functionality to the, um, you know, to the tools that we're creating. Like just, let's say four months ago, uh, it, it was a legitimate thing where people could say, well, yeah, Webflow sort of abstracts HTML and CSS, but but like one of the new technologies is CSS Grid and, and your team or your product doesn't support it, which was a completely valid, um, you know, criticism because we're sort of like behind the curve a little bit behind what, uh, around what's actually available in browsers. Uh, but that, now that's not true anymore. So we have like um, fewer and fewer sort of, things that people can point to as examples where uh, we're behind what's actually possible with the web platform. Um, so I think it, it's absolutely just a matter of time, absolutely kind of a, uh, a function of more and more people adopting the technology and then showing what's possible with it. Like we have some, some uh, people who have started entire companies without developers and like gotten funding uh, because they were able to build like either a proof of concept or like sort of um, everything they needed to build and host on, on Webflow. And those, like the more of those that we get, the more we can uh, inspire others to um, kind of not assume that they need a developer to get, uh, to do development. Cause sometimes you can like learn how to visually develop yourself. Uh, and then like the more of those proof points you have, it sort of like starts to snowball. Uh, but we're still very much in like the middle of that uh, slow evolution. It's not, <laughs> nowhere near uh to snowballing yet uh but it's it's a lot closer to it than it was five years ago yeah um so uh, i wanted to talk about one of the design choices you made with webflow Mm -hmm. uh, like design of one of the technical design choices sure so it seems like uh webflow is a very thin abstraction layer over html and css Mm -hmm. For example, um, you just met, you brought up the CSS grid abstraction, mm-hmm. which I've seen a lot of um, really cool demos of, like on your Twitter feed and, and 
um, like little gifts mm -hmm. showing, or maybe some videos. And it's really impressive. And it seems like um, you guys really think that, that like the CSS grid abstraction improves the tool. Mm -hmm. And so part of the question is like, why didn't you build that abstraction before CSS grid existed? Mm -hmm. And then just like, you know, manually compile down to some right. HTML CSS thing that didn't exist, you know, like basically why didn't you implement your own CSS grid um, if you had the idea? Like, why are you waiting for HTML CSS to do the thing and then abstract over it? Why don't you just build the right abstraction and then and then compile down to whatever CSS and HTML supports now? Uh, that's a great question. So a couple answers to that. One is we fundamentally believe that the web platform will win over the long term just because there's so many proof points uh, over time that the web, like this open technology that, that gets consensus and agreement across many different solutions and many different companies, uh, tends to, even though it takes uh, a longer uh, period of time, uh, tends to absorb all these great technologies from like, you know, mobile, from Flash, et cetera, which seem to, uh, when they first start to like create like, you know, Flash had its own custom layout engine, which is a lot more flexible. Um, they seem to be more flexible initially, but then um, stuff starts to break down, like screen readers don't work or search engines don't work with them or... Uh, like there, there are performance issues with doing layout that, it, you know, when it's not built into the browser, it, it just goes a lot slower. Um, so we have kind of have made that assumption from day one of like where we can, let's rely on browsers and open standard, open web standards to actually do the, the underlying work for us. So, so that's the concept of like building directly for the medium that we're creating for. So we're not like, you know, building our own rendering engine or our own layout engine. Uh, because we would really have to be more right than the web platform for that to uh, um, eventually succeed. And even if it does succeed, then we create like this sort of walled garden of like, you know, this layout engine only works on Webflow or whatever, or like we have to have our own runtime. But the bigger, like more practical um, answer to that is just speed. Um, there, there were a couple like grid or grid-like uh, layout engines, um, you know, some based on like Apple's... Um, I think it's called auto layout and there's something called GSS, like grid style sheets, uh, which are JavaScript based. They were just way too slow. Like you have to do a lot of um, work to essentially like relay out the page as content is changing or animations are happening. Um, whereas browsers, when they build it into their engine, like they have such closer control, sort of like quote unquote to the metal where they can hyper optimize um, things like layout or, or, or like repainting, et cetera where the user experience is just so much more, like it just feels so much more native that um, that takes a lot of work off of our plates. So by creating a visual abstraction over something that's already there, uh, A, makes our job um, easier, but I think it also makes the work that people um, uh, create in, in uh, our tool a lot more long lasting because you can always like, you know, pull the escape hatch if you need to. And what you get out is standard HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Um, which you can run anywhere. You can like, you know, take over and start maintaining it yourself. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, open web standards. Um, there's nothing like magical about it. Um, and that inspires confidence in our users um, because it means that you're like, you, you don't feel trapped in, in something that just like one company is doing or like, like what if, what if our, you know, layout engine starts to not become performant or whatever. Um, I think there's just more confidence in, in us saying, um, you know, we're following the accepted web standards, even if it if it means uh, waiting a little bit longer to do that. 
Damn, that was uh, the best defense of open web standards I've ever heard. <laughs> so great. <laughs> you're, you're a real fan. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, so do you contribute to web standards or is that something that you, you see yourself or your company doing down the line? Um, I think we've uh, we've been a, in part of several conversations like um, uh, one recently around like styling scroll bars or uh, we, we were pretty early in the uh, CSS grid um, kind of discussions with the company that was implementing it in Safari and Chrome. Um, but it hasn't been like a direct type of, um, involvement just because we don't have anybody on the committees. Um, we've definitely commented quite a bit on, um, some of the proposals and, and shared our perspective. Um, but it's, I think our company has been at a too small of a scale to, um, to participate in those like larger vendor discussions. Uh, but definitely something we see ourselves being more involved in going forward. So you mentioned this phrase "walled garden," mm -hmm. um, and I—that's related to this other question I have for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also related to this tweet. I, I keep keep referencing your, your Twitter feed. <laughs> um, I think someone like contacted you on LinkedIn saying like you're building the Salesforce for web development because like uh, I think they were talking about how Salesforce is this like platform that's very like pluginable yeah. and like everyone kind of just built on top of Salesforce. Yeah. And so it, it's wonderful if you could pull off the, the platform thing and then everyone kind of integrates with you. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm doing a bad job of articulating a question. I'm kind of talking around it. Uh, it seems to me like Webflow is, is a walled garden in that it's like a, a single cohesive system, mm -hmm. your, your one-stop shop for web development, CMS, maybe more. Um, and so, yeah, I'm wondering, and then like, I'm sure you're going to open up a, like a plug-in e-system at some point if, if yep. you already have one. So, um, but like, I don't know, I'm just uh, curious if you've considered like the, a different alternative where you instead focus maybe more on what you're good at and then integrate with other tools that do what they're good at sure, uh, and have kind of like more of a patchwork solution. Sure. So we consider that for sure. Um, the, at the end of the day, uh, what it comes down to is the, um, the user experience. So. When we, when we first considered launching um, or integrating our visual tools with a CMS, for example, um, the obvious answer was, hey, build, build an extension uh, to WordPress. Um, take something that yep. takes your like, visual chops and, and um, kind of extend it to uh, a CMS platform that already exists, especially one that's open source. Um, and we actually created some prototypes around that. Um, and what happens is you, you have sort of like, uh, the, by approaching it in a sort of like piecemeal patchwork way, you have essentially the sum of those two things. You have a good CMS and you have a good visual um, uh, uh, kind of like layout engine or like w a way to build templates. But it's the combination of the two. If you do them right, it actually becomes a lot more than the sum of the two parts. Uh, it, it, it makes the two things work so much more kind of like cohesively together that it becomes foundationally or fundamentally more accessible to people. So, for example, right now we have what we call a visual CMS where you, you design the entire content model, um, uh, sort of like your graph of uh, what objects you're representing and how you know, they relate to each other. And then when you're building the, the visual for it, you actually can visually bind to that data. And that's not something you can do uh, when you when the two systems don't really understand each other that well. 
but by having like control over both the um, like where the uh, how the data is like uh, declared and how it um, like the schema around that information and exactly the, the structure and the source and the performance uh, characteristics of that um, the shape the sort of um, everything around how that data is accessed and how it's stored. Uh, you can very, very easily like marry it to a visual design and provide this like super seamless uh, visual development environment where you can like tie visuals to data. And I and I think the result of that is like ten times better than um, just having a CMS and a uh, visual template editor kind of like in isolation that are sort of integrated together. Uh, and same thing goes for you know we're now working on things like multi language and um, components and. Um, uh, e-commerce, where just having a feature of, so like, let's say we, we had e-commerce where we took our visual uh, language and sort of made it as like a Shopify extension. Um, you have like all these sort of like translation steps between the two platforms uh, that just don't feel very natural. Whereas um, in Webflow now with Webflow Commerce, you can like literally drag in um, kind of like a checkout page and make it look however uh, you want or like a product grid. And you're just like directly manipulating your layout of like products or, or like the product detail page. And you don't have to worry about like all the, like how it would actually integrate with an e-commerce platform. Um, it just works. It's just like the thing you're declaring just, just works out of the box. You press a button and it goes live. Uh, you hook it up to your, you know, Stripe account and it just, everything just works out of the box. So it's more of the kind of like very, it's, it's like, think of it maybe as, I don't know if you have an, um, an Apple device. Yeah. Let's say you have something like email, right? Email is a um, kind of federated way that you can send a photo to any person in the world, no matter what device they have, right? But if you use um, uh, AirDrop, it just feels so much more natural. You're close to a person. You literally hit AirDrop. You just give them all the photos from your um, uh, device. It just just feels like it takes like a second versus like a you know uh, a minute long process, right? Uh, but that's only possible because like those devices understand each other and it's just like a very, very integrated uh, environment. And I can do that to my to my Mac. I can do that to my um, iMac at home. I can do it to my daughter's iPad, et cetera. It's just like the fact that the systems understand each other just makes the user experience so much more fluid um, that I don't think it's possible when you have like this sort of like handoff or integration um, uh, type of workflow. And that's just kind of like a decision that we made based on user feedback like it, we just found so much more success with people like thinking of those things as just like one thing uh, versus the combination of many different solutions that are sort of like patched together um, i don't know if that answers the question but like to, to us it's all about user experience but we try to keep things in a way where everything around what you're building in webflow like all your data um your your layouts your html your css your javascript your uh, like actual uh, stuff that you put in the CMS, you can like take it and, uh, you know, put it in anywhere else. Of course, you're not going to get all of like the ecosystem effects uh, from, you know, everything working well together, but it's it's not like you're completely locked in, um, almost like you are with Facebook. Like Facebook is not going to let you take your, um, I mean, they'll let you like download all your messages, but you can't just move them to something that's um, uh, a similar functionality. Uh, you know, they're not going to like, your stuff to some other social network. Um, it has like limited value, whereas the things you build with Webflow, you can actually take the majority of it and like adapt it to, you know, some open source CMS or whatever. Um, you don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater in a sense. Hmm. So um, 
that make that strategy makes a lot of sense. I guess uh, one outcome of uh, doing it all yourself, but and slowly growing the pro- product to do more and more mm-hmm. things, to encompass more and more of all the things users want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm curious, yeah, like w- when will it stop? So so now you have companies that are turning their whole marketing sites into Webflow sites. Mm-hmm. Um, will the next Airbnb or Uber or Facebook? Then will the next website billion dollar YC company? Or will one of them, will one day they be created in Webflow? I think the first versions of them uh, could definitely be created in a future version of Webflow. So when we add things like, you know, a plugin ecosystem, user context, like backend, um, uh, like more backend-y visual development flows, I can definitely see where, you know, the um, initial version of Airbnb or or like an initial Twitter um, would be created and validated on Webflow. Uh, and then potentially even scale with Webflow. Um, and and the vast majority of software that's created is like CRUD-based, doesn't have the type of scale that these uh, like startups do. Um, so I think a lot of software will be created in this um, sort of like mid-tier uh, where you, they're completely scalable on, um, on something like a shared platform like Webflow. And, and a few of the breakout ones, like the Airbnbs, like the Ubers, they might need to sort of like, quote unquote, eject and, and build a lot of stuff on their own. Just like, you know, Dropbox had to eject from AWS and, and build out their own uh, servers. But those startups are very few and far between. And I totally believe that in the future, um, a lot of the initial versions of products will be completely created visually. Uh, and then if the like the platform or, or the foundations on, on which that visual software runs does not support like very complex use cases, there will be ways to either like augment that with code, um, whether it's front end or back end, or, um, you know, kind of eject and, and build that kind of the traditional way. Um, but I, I do think there are more and more software, if not the majority uh, over the next decade will actually be created in in a more abstract way, uh, where you're not like writing all the rails or node handlers on the back end, you're actually, we're going to move closer and closer to like a Zapier, uh, like, or Airtable, like, um, or more Webflow, like kind of visual expression of business logic and UIs and components, uh, where a lot of the translation steps are just removed from the equation because they're, they're just like, just that tedious translation. Um, we, we need to focus more on the actual like solving business problems. So if you can imagine Webflow the way it is today, um, when you submit a form, you know, just adding some functionality where you can, a user, like a designer can map what those form fields go to in, in the CMS, you've essentially created like a CRUD based uh, application where a user has user generated content. They fill out a form, it goes into the database. When you refresh, uh, that is now available on the website then you augment that with something like user context where users can log in and actually see content that's relevant to them. Then you're already pretty close to uh, migrating what's, uh, what looks like a website to a web application. Um, and you're already pretty close to uh, creating things that we think of as like, you know, uh, full on applications um, to being completely possible visually. Uh, so it's not, it's definitely not outside the realm of possibility that entire startups um, will be created on Webflow, whether they stick on, um, uh, on the platform or not, just kind of depends on their needs as they scale. Uh, but that's, that's something to figure out uh, in the future. Fascinating. Yeah, I, that um, distinction you make between, like, it's, it sounds like you 
um, you're very much going after the middle market or even the the lower end of the market, and um, you're letting the bit the big guys eject from you. That's not. Yeah. That's not because I think there are there are tools that exist that you or I maybe you know about them, but I I think most people don't that are like just for enterprise companies mm-hmm. like the Fortune 500 companies have website builders that I don't know SAP has made for them, right. but um, but like the rest of us don't know about those tools, and, and you're kind of going for the opposite. Yeah, market. yeah. I think we're we're trying to enable software creation that's not being created today. So. Uh, Right now, somebody might have an idea. So I'll give you an example. One of our product designers um, launched like just a podcast directory, a searchable podcast directory of like the top-rated podcast in his opinion. Right? That's you could say that's a product. It was on Product Hunt. Um, it's a piece of software. It has a database. It has like you can search the stuff. You can like rate by certain things. Um, you could argue that that software would never never uh, have been created because this person doesn't know how to code. Um, so I think what we're trying to enable is um, uh, like giving people this ability, sort of like democratizing the um, uh, the act of creating software to where most of it is, is not an alternative uh, to something that they can already do today. It's actually like the first, it, it's an empowerment of them being able to do something now that they weren't able to do before uh, without like, you know, significant capital or, or like hiring somebody else uh, or, you know, learning how to code, et cetera. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like what Excel, Excel did to Pascal, you know, like a lot of people when, when uh, spreadsheets came out, it's not like all the Pascal programmers jumped to that and said, Oh, I'm going to do all of my computation on, um, but you know, with with this visual expression of uh, kind of, like expressing uh, computation, it actually empowered 10 times, if not 100 times as many people to actually, even if it's in the limited sense, uh, to get a computer to do calculations for them. Um, and depending on how you define, like, you know, giving instructions to computers, like Excel could be considered the most popular programming language um, because it's it's used to sort of like extract computational power from um, from a computer in like a very specific type of way. Uh, in some ways, like entire businesses are based on Excel spreadsheets and and like formulas and calculations and stuff. Um, but it's um, it, it created this like new, completely new way of uh, getting people to um, quote unquote program. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like a replacement of anything. Yeah, I, I really like that distinction, and it um, reminds me of. Um... Someone else I interviewed on my podcast, uh, Joe Cohen of this this company Universe. Are you familiar? Oh yeah, with yeah. The Universe. Yep. It's a yep. It's like a um, grid based uh, um, iPhone app to make websites. Yeah. Yeah, and and it seems like a lot of the people who he has on his platform are people who never in a million years. I don't even think that they would have like gone to Webflow. Like even that seems too yep. complicated for them. Like exactly. these are people who need to be like on the bus to be able to make their website because like they don't have time. They don't have a desktop computer. Right. Um, or whatever it is. They, they, so I, I think he, like you, are enabling people. Uh, they're enabling the things that never would have been created on any alternative. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. Um, it's um, it's empowerment to express yourself, whether that expression is like, you know, your personal, in the case of universe, like your personal kind of identity on the web and, and how you want to be perceived uh, and what you want to say about yourself. Uh, to being able to express some idea for, um, you know, uh, a, a website or even a product or like a bit of software. Um, those those things would have not made 
uh, them like would not have kind of formulated into reality uh, had these like kind of tools not existed um, to empower those people to do that. So um, if you'll allow me, I want to be a bit pedantic again about something that you said. <laughs> okay. Is that all right? Of course. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned how um, if you consider you know, giving instructions to a computer programming, then Excel could be one of the most popular programming languages mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. there. And so I too have defined programming that way because uh, all the time, especially when I was teaching programming, people would ask me, what is programming? Mm -hmm. And um, that's a hard question to answer. I've since learned because uh, I, I started dating someone who is an artist and everyone always asks her, I used to ask her, what is art? And she's <laughs> like, it's really hard to define. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out every field of, of study or expression is hard to define. Mm -hmm. But um, let's stick to programming. What is programming? I think most people will agree that that like you know get, you have to be pretty abstract when you're talking about what is programming mm -hmm. and giving instructions to a computer is is probably basically what you want. Mm -hmm. But then um, what people will be like, but wait a second, where's the line? Like, is is it's like sending my emails on Gmail? Is that programming? Mm -hmm. And um, it took me a while, but finally my answer to this question is yes. Everything you do on a computer is programming. It's just um, not a very good programming language. Like Gmail is not very composable. It's not very expressive. It's a very, it's like not turn complete. It's, it's not a very good programming language, but, but it is. Mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about that? That's interesting. I, I've never had it um, kind of expressed that way. I would say programming is the, the act of somehow declaring instructions that are then replayed uh, in some way. So in, in Gmail, to use that example, I think creating a filter feels like, kind of on the edge of programming, whereas sending an email is the execution of somebody else's um, well, like instructions for what to do, right? Uh, so, so when you create rules for a computer to follow, um, whether it's like, you know, creating a Zap and Zapier or creating a workflow um, kind of diagram and some like, you know, help uh, support desk uh, software or whatever, that feels like programming because you're saying, hey, computer, next time this situation happens, um, or even going to like a text expansion program or, or your iPhone and like declaring rules that say, when I type this, do this, that feels like uh, kind of like what I would define as programming. Oh. Whereas like that, like, let's say you had like an Amazon Echo uh, device where you're saying like, when I say this word, turn on my Christmas tree. When I say this other word, turn off my Christmas tree. When I create those rules, I'm programming. When I execute uh, that program and then like say those words, I'm actually now just you know, giving it commands and those, those instructions are executing. Um, so it feels like that's the distinction to me, like creating the rules that's programming, mm. executing on the rules, uh, is more of like the use of that programming. I see. And I, th this really fits. Um, I, I like this distinction a lot. So the, di the distinction is, um, deferred, like, like whether or not it's happening now or later. And I think that fits with people's conception, because if you think about the word, mm -hmm. even, programming it's like pre-programming something it's like setting mm -hmm. it up and then and then later you're maybe you're using something that was pre-programmed yes. and so the, yeah, the programming is it's it's the setting yep. it up if you're so i guess um to take your email example when you're sending emails you're not programming so it, let's say i'm i'm in code i've i've authenticated like i'm in a python shell and i've authenticated to some gmail api with my gmail credentials mm -hmm. and then i write an email in the shell and i hit i hit send mm -hmm. so most people will call that programming because it looks like programming, but maybe you would say, no, 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 that's just using, that's just sending an email Yeah, that's, that's, by another name. Yeah, that's maybe scripting. Like you're just sort of doing a thing by a different way. 
but you're doing it once. If I was to write a, uh, a, like a, a program on my computer that says, you know, like um, I write this command email and then some, um, uh, some name or like an email and then the message, uh, I'm sort of like the act of creating that, that command or that program that executes on that is programming, but actually executing that command feels more like, you know, I don't know, utilizing that program. I don't know. It's kind of, it starts to become arbitrary. No, no. I, I think to me, you've, you've come up with a very clear distinction. Uh, programming is just setting up a computer mm -hmm. and then, and like setting up is very yeah. clear. And then anytime you use a computer, that's, that's not programming. That's just, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we went down that rabbit <laughs> hole. That was fun. Awesome. Um, so I have a cheeky question. Okay. Bootstrapping. Will Webflow ever be built inside of Webflow? And not just like the marketing website for Webflow, but the actual tool itself. Um, I think maybe at some point, very, very uh, far into the future. There's a lot of there's a lot of parts of Webflow we already build in Webflow. Like for example, a lot of our e-commerce product, all the user interfaces were actually declared by uh, one of our product designers inside of our tool, which is actually kind of confusing, uh, because when you look at um, this designer's design surface, you actually see like Webflow twice, like all the tools, and then you see them again uh, on the actual canvas, uh, which can get really confusing. Wow. Uh, so all of the visuals were built uh, with Webflow and then sort of like perfected in, in React or whatever. Um, so it's moving closer to that world, but I think we're still pretty far away uh, to building the entire thing. It's almost like the best 3D printers these days are not 3D printers that can replicate themselves. You get so much more quality by like um, kind of like using materials and using um, kind of like the types of precision that... Um, is not uh, quote unquote replicatable. Um, but I think at some point in the future, more and more of these things will be able to be expressed visually. Uh, I still think there's going to be massive amounts of um, like manual code needed to, to like build out these tools and build out more complicated software. Um, so it's very, very early uh, to, to try to say like when or if even uh, entire tools like Webflow will be able to be created completely in Webflow. Uh, the 3D printer thing is hilarious. I, I've never heard of that, or it never occurred to me that a 3D printer could build a 3D printer. And then once it does, we've reached the robot apocalypse <laughs> because there's no stopping them. There are 3D printers that can actually build all the materials to, to rebuild themselves, but they're usually the ones that are like less, uh, less accurate. Um, it, it's, it's more of like you're just doing that out of kind of like the novelty sake. Um, but the best ones are definitely the the really, really kind of complex ones that can't rebuild themselves. Well, that's that's so cool, though. I feel like someone, just for fun, should make a project where you have a 3D printer, it prints all the pieces for itself, and then you also have a robot that's able to put it uh -huh. together. And then you just have this video that goes on. As, like, <laughs> as long as you have input materials, you just have this robot just go down the line making things that make themselves. And like it's exponential because, of course, once you have two, they can they can both make two. And then once you have four, they can make right. eight. That, that would be hilarious. That would be fun. Yeah. Uh, I would um, not personally recommend yeah. that as a hobby. Uh, that would probably take, take many, <laughs> many years. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess you need a 3D printer plus an uh, assembly exactly. robot uh, together. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. You'd have to, and it would be very slow, I'm sure. You'd have to speed up the video. But it, it's, it'd be uh, exponential. So as long as you have the input material. Uh, yeah, anyway. But, but, think, of the, but yeah. think of the internet points you could get. 
<laughs> so many. Yeah. Uh, see, this is how the uh, robot apocalypse is going to happen. It's not going to be for greed of money. It's going to be for greed of uh, internet. Fame. Exactly. It's uh, that all all economics uh, boils down to internet points. Um, okay, so um, back to back to serious topics. <laughs> I uh, myself was uh, I was sketching out a, a tool for direct manipulation of user interfaces, um, but uh, m- my personal work is more about um, very um, like nested interfaces, kind of like um, like a to do MVC. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all like front end logic and it's um, very interactive. Right. Um, and so I, and so I was making a, a um, direct manip- manipulation tool that could make these sort of things. Mm-hmm. And um, the the hard wall that I ran up against is that everywhere I put like a, a slider for numbers or a color picker or anything like that, um, I also realized that I'd have to be able to put an expression, like an arbitrary expression or value mm-hmm. that my program computes elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, well, if I need, if I have to put, be able to put expressions everywhere, then basically, isn't it just a programming language? Like then I can't have these nice widgets, like color pickle, picker things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but then, but then I had this idea that, um, so, so now you're, now you're just giving me uh, product feedback. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, uh, so, so, so then I had this idea that, um, like we could have de- detachable widgets where like only the literals are widgets, but you could kind of like detach them and put ex- anywhere like in Webflow, anywhere on that panel where you could like pick a color right, right. or a number, you could like instead put an expression mm-hmm. there. Um, and then the expression could contain a, itself like a color picker. I don't know. So those are some some difficulties and, and a proposal. What are your thoughts on making a tool that's like Webflow and it's direct manipulationiness, uh-huh. but also uh, like more ex- expressive and like nestable? Right, right. Uh, that's a that's a good question. Like we we've deliberately chosen um, chose not to kind of go down that level of complexity yet. Um, so take something like CSS. It has um, like a concept like calc, right? Like to calculate instead of like a direct value, you know, I want something to be 20 pixels. Um, There's like a a kind of an expression that you can say, I want something to be 20 pixels plus 20% of like the page width or something like that. Uh, We haven't even gone to that complexity uh, where, you know, we find ways to express that because like uh, the majority of our um, product is so much more like direct manipulation-y. Um, so it's hard for me to say like how much value that actually provides because even without those things, um, people have been able to create like really, really powerful, uh, you know, websites and experiences and animations, et cetera. So it may like w- one part of my answer is that it feels like in many cases, that's not actually that s- sort of expressiveness might not even be necessary. Um, especially in the web design use case. Uh, but once you start to go down that um, that rabbit hole, you know, when you want to have the same level of power that you might have in like a to-do MVC app, then I, I don't actually know what the what the answer is to, to creating that level of um, expressivity. Like you, you may be, the fact that you have to write an expression um, becomes a necessity, but as long as you keep that to a minimum, almost like Excel does, you know, like Excel... Uh, you have all this power with formulas and um, and things like that, but it's uh, it's it's easy to see when you messed up. You know, like whenever you uh, you know in a regular program you get a semicolon wrong, the whole thing doesn't run. Whereas in Excel, you get like a formula wrong in a specific cell, you kind of see that the error is just there. It doesn't break the whole program. There's sort of like this iterative uh, um, kind of solver model. Um, 
that the whole spreadsheet runs against. So as long as like your visual way of expressing this like really complicated um, front end workflows keeps that um, type of principle of like it's really really hard to do the wrong thing, uh, even when you have uh, this uh, you know ability to write out expressions. Um, like for example, you can you can compile expressions uh, before you even let a user commit it and and say you know the syntax is wrong here. Um, so you have a lot of, of flexibility to um, make it um, kind of like harder for for the consumers of your software to to do the wrong thing. Um, I think that will um, the combination of those two things, like the direct manipulation um, and the kind of um, the ability to do these super custom things on the on the edges, uh, is probably the the like. Um, the right approach in the long term, but you know, you just have to actually build them and and see, like, give people the task of like, hey, build this interface or build this interaction and see if it if it makes sense. It's it's very hard to like abstractly try to determine whether that's the right approach or not. I was wondering if you would have advice for other people looking to follow in your footsteps in following in Brett Victor's footsteps, like for people looking to do Brett Victory things with their lives. Uh, what sorts of given that you've found a lot of success uh, doing that, what, what would you recommend? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, for me, it was very, um, like, I was lucky enough to to be uh, kind of exposed to certain things, like I described, like 3D animation and web design, where kind of seeing this um, concept of, you know, uh, removing a modal uh, or like a mode-based type of uh, workflow with one that has no modes or like, you know, introduce direct manipulation, like it was directly applicable. Um, I've, I've actually shared that video with a lot of people who aren't in like programming or, or design. And some people actually just don't connect with it at all. So I think I was just... Yeah, I, ha I have to say that um, especially people not in programming, they don't get it yeah. at all. My girlfriend, she she was like, so confused yeah. when I showed it to her and she dismissed it so uh -huh. out of hand. I it was it was tough for our relationship. <laughs> it was so hard for me to hear. Yeah. I'm like, you don't understand. Like this video is like the most important thing to me. And she's like, but it's like she's like all the artistic tools I use, Photoshop, they all work like this already. Right. I don't get what, what your problem yeah. is. Yeah. So it's it's very it's it's hard to say what I would advise because such a personal thing. Uh, you know, my wife had the same thing like we watched that video together because I uh, told her how it you know impactful it was for me and it was just like that's cool um <laughs> uh you know not not quite the same and forget about reading magic ink that's just like you know way too uh, like even for me it was pretty uh, pretty dense to to get through um so i would say there's if the inspiration strikes around like a specific concept like even in that video like brett shared kind of like this new way of doing animation, right? I don't think anybody has actually built that into a, a product yet. Um, you know, when he was like sort of um, manipulating it with his, you know, making like the leaf animate. Uh, I don't think anybody has actually taken that to um, to market. So I think if there are specific things where you can see that you can actually solve an existing um Here's here's how uh, I actually heard this on another podcast. Um, I think an investor was saying it like the way to identify business opportunities is to say take something that people are already paying um, quite a bit of money for. Um, and if you can actually make it way easier, like that's almost a, a no brainer because there's a proven sort of like, you know, use case for it and um, you're making it easier. There's there's got to be a way to, to market that. 
Um, so I think there's there's quite a few ideas, maybe not with like sort of the electrical um, diagramming that Brett Victor kind of did in that um, in that video, but maybe game development, maybe like this uh, video editing um, thing. It's it's hard to say because like I don't want to recommend you know start like visual web design software because uh, you know we, it would be um, like I honestly believe that it'll be hard, very hard to to kind of do all the work that we did in the last six years. Um, so you have to, because when we started, it was sort of like a very, very niche thing. We were the only real player doing that. So we didn't really have competition. Um, but I'm sure there are many other uh, areas where you can like apply this principle. Maybe it's like very um, focused to just component design or like animated SVG kind of like output or um, like I mentioned, video editing. I don't know. Um, it's, it's very hard to answer that. I think I, I feel very lucky in that, uh, like for me, it clicked right away um, based on the experience I had with of like how hard it was to build like custom custom websites. And it just like made sense. It was like, duh. Um, but I don't know if that will apply to other types of uh, products or industries. Well, one, one thing to note is that um, when I asked that question, I, I wasn't quite asking uh, like, how would you come up with Brett Victory startup mm-hmm. ideas? But but that is the question you answered. And, and that makes sense, given the way I asked the question, mm-hmm. because that, that's what you do. Um, but um, clearly, you don't have to, like, do a startup to, to do this kind of work. Right. Um, like, speaking of which, um, Brett isn't, like, known for being, like, an ardent fan of capitalism. Yep. So I'd be curious to get, uh, to hear if you've interacted with him, you know, like, recently, mm-hmm. and if he's seen what Webflow has become, and and like what he thinks of it? Um, I, I did get a chance to meet him at uh, Dynamic Land, but unfortunately we didn't get a chance to, you know, I didn't want to just start talking about <laughs> my, my, my product <laughs> or whatever. Um, but based on his reaction to, let's say, um, I know uh, Khan, Khan Academy, um, John Rezik, when he went to work there, and he sort of like took a lot of uh, the principles behind uh, Brett Victor's kind of uh direct uh, manipulation and like visual programming type of concepts uh, and applied it to learning computer science. Like Brett had a lot of um, kind of criticism for, for that approach. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's yeah. an understatement. Uh, it, it's one of my favorite stories of someone like trying to give pay homage to yeah. someone and getting like, uh, yeah, criticized yeah. in a big way. <laughs> and I think, you know, honestly, um, uh, what's the expression like capitalism um is the worst type of government except for all the other ones uh so yes. for for me the fact that we have an economic incentive to uh you know create better products like in the long term actually impacts way more like it makes a much bigger dent in the universe because it means that the thing that we're creating is actually long-term sustainable um, whereas just creating, you know, something on the side to be completely perfect, uh, but doesn't solve like some, some immediate business need may actually mean that you have like a more perfect product, but you, you don't actually have, um, long-term impact. Um, so it's, it's sort of like there's, there's a big trade-off, right? Um, and I think there's, well, I, yeah, I think just to point out, like there are a lot of like, for example, the the open web standards, W three mm-hmm. people, like like that's not a business, and you have to have a big impact. So obviously, you can have a big big impact. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I just thought I'd point it out because I I because uh, when I initially um, for myself decided that I'd I'd rather try and have a bigger impact without making mm-hmm. money, 
I didn't think it was possible because I came from the world of startups and my dad is a finance person mm-hmm. and, and um, everyone was telling me that like the only way to have a big impact is to start a company. And I, and I believed them at first. So I feel like it's important to just say Oh, absolutely. That, um, I mean, look at Brett. <laughs> you don't have yeah look at brett like he yeah he probably led to the creation of so many companies um just by way of inspiration um and and that's <laughs> that's huge i mean like if you some um like create the sum total of that like none of that was him starting companies right totally um well, well, that's too bad uh, that, that you, you don't have your own version of the learnable programming essay that criticized Khan Academy. You don't have your own, your own uh, uh, like beautiful essay that tells everybody how terrible your product well, is. But I, I guess... Honestly, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to write anything like, you know, on, on Medium or some blog post saying like, this is inspired by Brett stuff because I didn't want the criticism. <laughs> uh, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. To, to eat for, uh, maybe one day you'll be so lucky yeah, yeah. Um, okay so in the last few minutes um, I like to ask guests for their um, API mm-hmm. so that like basically ways uh, other people can interact with you or webflow mm-hmm. if you're hiring email what, what, whatever it is that you want people who listen to this uh, to, to follow up with you oh sure um, so I'm I think the the only kind of socially network that I use is uh, Twitter so I'm I have my DMs open on uh, on there. Um, I love having conversations on there. Um, I, I think most of the friends that I've met that are into like visual programming were have all been through Twitter or primarily been through Twitter. Yeah, I could say the same thing. I um, I've made so many hundreds of friends mm-hmm. through Twitter in the last year. It's yeah. amazing. I like have been neglecting my IRL <laughs> friends because my internet friends exactly. are more interesting. Yeah, so that's the that's the best way to get in touch with me. That's where I talk about programming and Webflow and um, all those things. And I I love kind of getting together with people, um, you know, especially in San Francisco because that's close to where I live. Um, but you know, I make it out to other places too. Just just talking about this stuff over you know breakfast or lunch or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, Twitter's the main the main uh, channel. Uh, great. Is Webflow hiring? Is that something you're? Uh, yes, in, absolutely. Or? So we're hiring um, product designers, specifically uh, those that um, have some bend bend towards programming. Uh, all of our product designers have um, some understanding of, you know, all the concepts behind front-end development, CSS, JavaScript, et cetera, um, and just people interested in creating tools that help other people create software. Um, so that is, uh, we're, we're always hiring on that front. Um, and then right now we're kind of, um, we just hired a bunch of front-end developers, so so that's not um, a big area of focus, but we are hiring um product managers as well, like people who can really understand this uh, customer's problems and like lead entire uh, features or, or product efforts. Um, and, and the more technical you are, the better. Um, I think everyone on, on the Webflow team tends to lean towards the, the very technical side. Uh, and that helps a lot with uh, the way that we design products, the way that we think about um, um, how stuff is architected. Um, so yeah, the definitely uh, hiring on on the product side. Cool. And um, I, I was kind of curious: is a, a big percentage of your team Brett Victor fans before they join the team, or you kind of inculcate them into it after they join, or you, you kind of leave it out? Of no, the a, a big percentage are like started from conversations uh, that <laughs> um, were sparked by this talk. 
Um, so they, you know, they lead to like closer conversations, then they lead to people joining the team. Um, I would say like, you know, roughly half of, of the team is like huge, huge fans of um, Fred Victor. Oh, the other thing I, I wanted to mention around hiring, like we're essentially worldwide. Uh, you don't have to like move to San Francisco to work at Webflow. Um, we're in, I think, 22 different states, 16 different countries. Um, so it's there's a lot of flexibility there. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. I, I definitely someone who prefers to mm-hmm. work from home. Cool. So uh, maybe we'll find someone who wants to yeah, work at Webflow. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, through right, this episode, right. of course, you're gonna find people. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you'll collect your recruiter recruiting fee. Oh yeah, um, I, I don't think I've yet connected someone for a job yet. Hey. Um, I, I don't I don't I'm not that good of a recruiter. This, this but could maybe be the one first day. time. We'll see. Could be. Uh, well, anyways, thanks uh, so much for taking the time to chat. This was absolutely likewise. I I love this conversation. All right, I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye. If you find these conversations valuable, please consider becoming a supporter. Your support would help make this work more sustainable in the long term. You can support by going to futureofcoding.org and clicking on Become a Patron in the top, or just go to patreon.com slash Steve Krause. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.